Reading from the book Hebrews chapter 2, I titled this message, Jesus, Your Perfect Savior. Jesus, it says Jesus, the captain of your salvation, but I changed it. When did I change it? This morning. Jesus, your perfect Savior. Make that little adjustment. Oh, it's not even, it's up back there, but it's not up there. Forget that. Forget what I said. There it is. Jesus, your perfect Savior. Put that up there. There it is. There it is. God is good. Reading Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 to 18. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for everyone. For it is fitting for him, suitable for him, for whom are all things, by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For this reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. This is Jesus talking. In this Old Testament passage, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. So Jesus sings with us by the spirit of Christ to the father. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here, here I am and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as children are, uh, have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. So he is a devil conquering savior, isn't he? And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. A bondage breaker. For indeed, he who does not give, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid or help to the seed of Abraham, which is us by faith. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those or come to the help of those that are being tempted. And may God bless his word to our hearts. Last week, uh, we talked about Jesus. And I'm just doing a series of messages out of the book of Hebrews, just focusing on Jesus. Focusing on Jesus. If we can get our minds and our hearts filled with Jesus, it's amazing what God can do. You believe that, don't you? Faith can arise in your heart, love in your heart. You'll see him as your answer. And a lot of times, just focusing on Jesus is better than a uh, a, a five-point message on how to have a better marriage or a better life. Because Jesus is the answer. He's the answer. He's the source of everything. Amen? He's the source of everything. So last week we talked about uh, the importance of Jesus. He is better than, and the writer Hebrews, who is who? The Apostle Paul, thank you very much. The writer Hebrews says he's better than, well, better than angels, better than Moses, better than the high priest, better than Old Testament sacrifices, better than the law. I mean, he's just better than everything. And if you want to see If you want to see God, you look at Jesus. If you want to hear from God, you listen to Jesus. If you want to love God, you worship Jesus. Those are the three points that we took took a look at last week. So we're just focusing on Jesus, the the perfect Savior. I got this great video, and I, I know I've played this in times past, but it's a great one. Why don't we do that video at this time as we just magnify Jesus?
The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-framed of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's awesome stuff, isn't it? Jesus is our perfect Savior. He's our substitute, like it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels. That's mean in his birth, his incarnation, he became a man. He was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. But now 
He's crowned with glory and honor. So he's no longer lower than the angels, but above the angels. Crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. That he might taste death for everyone. That's substitution. Substitution. He took our place. When Jesus Christ died, he suffered as a substitute in the place of and on behalf of fallen humanity. Christ's death made it possible for men and women to be declared righteous based on their faith in him and in him alone. Christ's death was not merely an expression of love, thank God it was that, but a payment that satisfied God's demands. Amen. Jesus is that perfect Savior. He is our substitute. We see in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 that we find the purpose. He tasted death for us. He died for you and I. But we also find in that passage just a wonderful motive that he by the grace of God, the grace of God, that was the motive, the grace of God or the free love of God. What motivated God the Father to send his son, love? What motivated his son to obey his father's will to suffer and die on the cross, love? What motivated the spirit of Christ, that spirit of grace, to lead him to Calvary, the spirit of God to do that? What motivated the spirit of God, his love for you and I, the grace of God? It's a free love. We're saved by grace. We're forgiven by grace. We're kept by his grace. Aren't you glad for grace today? The grace of God, the grace of God. That's what motivated Jesus to be our substitute. And also the result is glory and honor, glory and honor. In other words, because the father sent the son, the son was obedient to the father in coming to this earth and becoming a man, but not just a man, but that he was obedient even to death, the death on the cross. Therefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen to that. Glory and honor now belongs to him. His name is above every name through faith in his name. No other name given whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus. It's in faith in his name that we are saved, that we are healed, that we are blessed, that we are restored, that we are reconciled, that we are forgiven. It's all in that wonderful name, the name we used to curse. Now we proclaim and worship the wonderful name of? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Glory and honor. So he's a perfect savior. He's our substitute. The Bible says he's our captain. What does it mean, captain? I looked this up in the Hebrew, excuse me, in the Greek. The the word captain in Greek has a number of meanings. It can mean captain, pioneer, leader, prince, or author. He's the captain of our salvation. He's the author of our salvation. He's the prince of our salvation. He's the pioneer of our salvation. It can mean all those things. As captain, that means that he's our general, as it were, that he's our soldier, that he's the one that has won that warfare. As pioneer, that means that he blazes the trail. He's the way maker. He goes before us. He knows the way. He goes the way. He shows the way. As leader, he chooses the pace. 
He sets the direction. He is going before us. We are following him. He exercises all authority, right? As prince, that means he's king. He's Lord. All authority belongs to him. And as author, it means more than just simply an author like a writer. It means like an originator, the beginning. In other words, he's the author of our salvation. He's the originator of our salvation. He began our salvation. He's the source of our salvation. He's the first, uh, first one in our salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. It wasn't our idea. It wasn't our plan. We didn't come to Christ. He came to us. We didn't call upon him. He reached down. My, my wife preached a message a few weeks ago about uh, John six forty four that we must be drawn, drawn to the Lord. And because that, that, that is the first work, the originator of the plan, the originator of the work in us. It's actually Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. He's the beginning of all things, especially our salvation. Somebody say amen to that. So he's a captain, a captain, like it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 2, verse 10. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory. Sons there is a generic term, all of God's children, sons and daughters, right? He brought us to glory or to salvation, to make the captain of their salvation, who is Jesus Christ, perfect through sufferings. Perfect through sufferings. Doesn't mean that Jesus, through trial and error, became perfect. You know, God put him through a trial, put him through a test, put him through a hardship, and he failed, and then he got tried again, and he passed that test, and he is perfected, and on and on and went. No, every test and every trial and every challenge and every suffering that he faced, he took that as an opportunity to perfectly, completely, obediently obey his father's will without fail he was without sin the perfect blameless son of god and so god the father put jesus to the test using all kinds of challenges to cause him to be the captain of our salvation why because he wanted him jesus to be perfected through sufferings so that he might be a faithful and merciful high priest to us so that when we approach God, we don't approach a God that's way far away that doesn't understand. Oh, the Lord understands because he was made perfect. He became a perfect savior through all his sufferings. Every test and every trial was an opportunity for Jesus to obey his father. He became a sympathetic high priest through his sufferings. No one has faced the full strength of Satan's power like Jesus. Let me say that again. No one has faced the full strength of Satan's power like Jesus. The scriptures teach us that God limits our temptations. You read 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. He will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able so God, our Father, limits our temptations because of our limitations. Jesus had no limitations. Therefore, Jesus faced the full length and strength of Satan's temptations. So when I said that no one has ever faced the full brunt of Satan's power and temptation than Jesus, that's what I mean by that. 
God the Father, because we are weak and we have limitations, he limits Satan's activity in our life. Never allowing Satan to go too far and to bring too much upon us that we cannot bear with the grace of Almighty God. And so we never face Satan's full power. But Jesus had no limitations. He was the perfect son of God, right? He had no limitations. Therefore, the father allows Satan to have access to him in a way and in a manner that he didn't allow or does not allow Satan to have access to us. So Jesus, in dependence upon and empowered by the Holy Spirit and in submitting to the father's will as a man, faced the full brunt of Satan's power and temptation and all his sufferings down on this earth. And yet without sin, he triumphed over them. So that when we go to God in prayer, we have a high priest that can be touched with the feeling of our infirmity because he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Somebody say amen to that. Jesus became a perfect savior in order to impart to us perfect righteousness to everyone who believes. A perfect savior imparting perfect righteousness To all who believe, my positional place before God is righteousness. Christ's righteousness, robed in his righteousness. I am perfect in God's sight. I am as righteous as Christ is righteous. Now my walk, we can talk about that. That's a little different. We understand that. But my position, oh my goodness, it can't get any better than this. He has perfected forever. This Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, them that are sanctified. He has perfected forever. That means right now in the sight of God Almighty, I am perfect in his sight. I have the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's been imparted unto me. He was my salvation. He was my substitute. He's the captain of my salvation. He has made a way for me to be perfect in God's sight. Not just for me, but also for you. You might be saying, well, I'm not perfect. I don't act perfect. I still struggle. I still fail. Yes, that's your walk. But you need to make a difference between your standing or position and your walk. You are perfect, therefore act like it. You are righteous, therefore act like it. That's the teaching of Scripture. Amen? Perfect righteousness. The greatness of Christ. This is by Pastor James Kilpatrick. Nobody, nobody, nobody even comes close to comparing to Jesus. He's the firstborn of every creature. He's the firstborn by his resurrection of those from the dead. Who shall declare his generation? He is one with us, but he's definitely beyond us. He's great in his nature. His nature is incomprehensible. He is incomparable. He is divine. He's unique. He's equal with God. He's one with the Father. He fills all things that is not contained by all things. All things were made by him, of him, and through him, and to him are all things. He is before all things, and by him all things exist. He is God. He is man. He's as truly God as if if he were not man, yet completely and perfectly man as if he were not God. 
He's a perfect man with no stain, no spot, no original sin, no actual sin. He was the perfect, blameless, sinless son of God. He stands alone for us, brothers and sisters, today. He stands alone, but we see Jesus. No one better than Jesus Christ. He's a perfect savior. He's our substitute. He's our captain. The Bible tells us in verse 11, he's our sanctifier. Verse 11 says, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Imagine that, that the work of Jesus Christ as our Savior is so sanctifying that he's not ashamed of us to call us brothers and sisters, to call us members of his family. The perfect, blameless, spotless, sinless, holy, mighty Son of God is not ashamed of you and not ashamed of me. Amazing, isn't it? He has brought us by his blood, through faith in his blood, into the family of God. That's why the writer of Hebrews, who is who? The apostle Paul, thank you, the one of you. He says there in verse 12, I will declare your name. These are Old Testament verses that the writer's using. I will declare your name to my brethren. This is Jesus speaking in the Old Testament. I will declare your name, Father, to my brethren. Well, who's that? That's you and I. That's you and I. He goes on and he says, in the midst of the assembly, that's what the church is, the assembly. In the midst of the assembly, he tells us, right? In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. So we are his brothers and sisters. He actually assembles with us. And when we worship God, Jesus sings with us praises to the Father. You might be saying, well, how does he do it? By the Spirit of Christ. Did you feel and sense the Holy Spirit today in worship? I did. God is joining us. He not only inhabits our praises and is enthroned upon our praises, but he actually praises us, praises, not praises us, but praises with us, bringing glory to the Father. Jesus, through the Spirit of Christ, sings with us praises to God, his Heavenly Father. He's not ashamed to call us Brothers and sisters, it says in verse 13, and again, I will put my trust in him. What does this mean? I will put my trust in Jesus became a man. And as a man on this earth, he had to trust his father just like we do. Basically, when he says, I will put my trust in him, that's a verse that is describing that Jesus became a man and had to trust the Father just like we have to trust the Father to walk by faith, not by sight. We are brothers and sisters with Christ. He identifies with us in what we call this faith journey or faith walk. You say, wow, man, I get so weary trusting and my faith is so weak. And uh, certainly God doesn't understand because he sees all things. No, Jesus became a man and he had to put his trust in the Father. Matter of fact, you read Psalm 22. That's Jesus. It's Messianic Psalm. Jesus, the sufferings of Jesus on the cross. He talks about how on the cross he had to trust that the Father would not allow his body to see corruption. 
talks about how the dogs were surrounding him at the cross and literally dogs would. You know, they're not the pets that we have in, in our, our civilization and our day and age. The dogs in, in the scriptures were, were uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, obviously, they're carnivores. They went about uh, scavengers. That's good. Thank you, Rhonda. Scavengers. And what they do is they take bodies from off the cross and toss them to the dogs. And they scavenge the bodies, ripping them, you know, that's dinner. And Jesus would see the dogs gathering, the wild dogs, the scavengers gathering. And, and you read Psalm 22, literally he talks about his feelings from the cross and, and uh, the thoughts of, of his mind at the time. And he's talking about, Father, I'm putting my trust in you and you will not let me go to the dogs here. And the Lord didn't. The Lord did not allow him to see corruption. He was buried in a bar, borrowed tomb because he wasn't planning on staying there any more than a couple days, right? He's going to give it back. The Father resurrected him from the dead, saving him. Jesus, as a man, had to put his trust in his Father. You are going through this faith walk, faith journey. Your faith gets weak. I want you to know you have a perfect Savior who understands the faith journey because he journeyed in that journey as well. He understands what you're going through. Somebody give him praise today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Well, the last verse there in verse 13. Here am I and the children whom God has given me. God the Father gave us to the Son as a gift and a reward for the sufferings. We are the children that God the Father, the gifts, the rewards that God the Father gave the Son, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, who for the joy set before him, and obviously the joy set before him is his coming glory in heaven. Obviously, he will be ascending and seated at the right hand of the Father and given a name above every name. That's part of the joy set before him, but also part of the joy set before him is that God was going to give him a people. God was going to give him an inheritance for his sufferings. And that people or that inheritance or that gift or that reward is you and it's me. Hard to believe. We're his great reward. That's how much he loves you and loves me today. And he does, he's not ashamed of us. He brought us into the family of God. He has sanctified us. That's a, that's a long word. I understand that, but it literally means to be set apart to God as holy so that you might serve him. For he has sanctified you. He's the sanctifier. You're the one being sanctified. He has sanctified you when you placed your faith in him and his work on, uh, on the cross, saving faith. He has set you apart. Jesus has. He has set you apart to the Father as a holy person so that you might now serve him. Set apart as holy to serve. Set apart as holy to serve. That's sanctification. You've been set apart as holy to serve. Amen? He's a perfect Savior. A perfect Savior. He's our substitute. He's our captain. He's our sanctifier. He's also, I like this, I'm going to close with this one. He's our devil conqueror. 
In Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, it says this, Inasmuch then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. God can't die. God cannot die. But God became man. God took upon himself flesh. That's what that means. So that he might die for you and I. Our king came down, took upon himself our nature so that he might die for you and I. So that he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil, right? So our savior is a devil conqueror. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Our devil-conquering Savior died for you and I so that he might release, so that he might set free, so that he might lift that bondage, break those chains and shackles off of us, who all their lifetime were subject to fear, the fear of death. Jesus conquered Death. The fear of death, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15, brings bondage. There's a lot of ways that we deal with this thing called death. Ecclesiastes, I mentioned this sometimes in the funerals that I do. It says in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's better to go to a funeral than a party. How many would rather go to a funeral than a party? The Bible says it's better. Because when you go to a funeral, you consider deep spiritual things. In a party, you don't consider death. Nobody goes to a party and says, let me talk, let's talk about death. <laughs> let's just talk about that, you know. No, when you go to a party, you're lighthearted. You're just enjoying the moment. You're taking pleasure in, in the day or the moment, right? But when you go to the funeral, eternity, what happens when you die, and all those things. And so the Bible says it's better to go to a funeral than a party because you consider these things. And people have all kinds of ways of dealing with death. Some deny it. Uh, you know, they just try to put it out. But I want you to know they become enslaved in their subconscious. Some try to medicate it with drugs and alcohol. Some try to motivate it through busyness and work. Others try to meditate on it. They just think and think and think and think and think about it. And others panic over it. I don't know. How did you deal with the idea of death and the fear of death and the, the bondage that that can bring into your life. Did you deny it? Just That's what I would do. I'd just push it out, push it out. But I would become enslaved to it in my subconscious. It always was there. I wonder what happens when you die. Oh, that's, you know, do you just stay in the grave? Do you just lay in that coffin? Is there really life after death? You know, I would just, I would, I, it would, I'd push it down, push it down, try not to think about it, but it would spring up and then the next thing I know, I'm meditating on it, just thinking, thinking, I got to stop thinking about this until my fear of death led me to saving faith in Jesus Christ. How did you deal with death? Did you just try to give yourself to joy and pleasure and partying, medicating it, meditating on it, 
motivating it. You know, you just get so busy working, 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 and applying yourself to the things of this life. But there's more to life than eating and drinking and being merry, for tomorrow we die. The Bible talks about there's a judgment, and we all will give account. And there is a thing called death, a physical death. And the Bible says Jesus became a man that he might be flesh and blood for the reason by which he might die on the cross to deliver us from the bondage of sin and the power of death. Now, there's three kinds of death, physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death. And in all three areas, Jesus sets us free. Physical death. Yes, it's appointed unto man once died. We understand that. We will die physically. But I want you to know through Jesus Christ, we have the promise of a bodily resurrection. A bodily resurrection. What about spiritual death? We're born sinners, born in sin and conceived in iniquity. Our spirits are dead in trespasses and sins. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can be born again of the Spirit of God and made alive spiritually unto the Lord. There's also this thing called eternal death eternal damnation or eternal judgment and i want you to know that when you believe on jesus christ you don't only have life in this life but you also have this thing called eternal life eternal life new life abundant life eternal life jesus paid it all all to him i owe Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He defeated the enemy. Listen to what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. So the death of Jesus Christ on the cross wiped out the handwriting that was against us. That means each one of our sins. Each one of our, those things that were against us are contrary to us. Through his death on the cross, he wiped them out. Every sin you have committed, it was nailed to the cross. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Hallelujah. So the death of Jesus on the cross is our atonement for our personal individual sins. It doesn't get any better than that. The handwriting of requirements that was against us, that's the law and our breaking of the law, contrary to us, our personal sins. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. But the second thing the cross did, not only did it atone for our personal sins, it says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it this is the power of the cross jesus took our sins upon him and nailed them to the cross so that when he died we died with him when he was buried our sins were buried with him when he rose again we rose with him triumphant over sin the power of sin the penalty of sin and the presence of sin hallelujah what a perfect savior right but the second thing about the cross is this is that he disarmed principalities and powers. 
He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He disarmed the devil. He displayed the devil. He defeated the devil. Let me tell you that again. He disarmed the devil. He displayed the devil. He defeated the devil. He, he, is, he is victorious over our enemy. Am I right about that? Victorious. Victorious. He disarmed him. All power and authority that the devil had over death was stripped away from our conquering perfect Savior. He displayed the devil at the cross, which was the darkest time. It was the hour of darkness. There he was on that cross. He who knew no sin became sin. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The devil had him defeated. He was putting him to death. But he was on that cross publicly lifted high in front of everybody. And in that humiliating, painful, suffering death, the devil had to turn back on his face. And Jesus, through the cross, bruised that serpent's head rendering him powerless without authority in our lives. Publicly, Jesus defeated Satan. Publicly, yes. It was not done in some quiet corner. It was not done in some back room. Jesus on that hill called Calvary was raised up high and in his humiliation he triumphed over our great enemy the devil and he disarmed him displayed him and defeated him somebody give God praise today Woo! he's our perfect savior Jesus is our devil conquering savior through his death on the cross and resurrection from the, le- from the dead, the Lord disarmed and defeated our adversary. Satan has been defeated. His power has been stripped from him. He has no authority in your life because you belong to the Lord. You are a child of God. You've been washed in his blood, robed with his righteousness, and empowered by his spirit. Say amen to that. It goes on. The Lord's favor is upon you, and his favor is for life. You don't need to fear, for he is with you. You are in his hands. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Through him you are more than a conqueror. The devil is under your feet. Therefore, be strong, stand firm, stay vigilant, for victory is promised for you. Your devil-conquering Savior is for you, not against you. So lift up your hands, give God praise, for he is worthy to be worshipped. Amen? Hallelujah! Hallelujah! We love you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. God is good. God is good. In conclusion to this awesome, awesome message, Jesus is a perfect Savior, and it's awesome because it's focused on Jesus, right? Jesus is a perfect Savior for you and I today. He is everything you and I need. We just need to reach out with faith and confidence, remembering when he was on this earth, he had to put his trust in his Father. He knows how challenging that is because we do not see God, we believe God. Amen? If you have a need today, just reach out your hands. Reach out your hands. Jesus is a perfect Savior, He's our substitute, He's our captain, He's our sanctifier. He's our devil-conquering 
Savior. Father, you see these hands that are lifted high and you are more than able right now in Jesus' name to meet their every need. We put our faith in you. You can release us. You can break bondages. You can set us apart as holy. You're not ashamed of us. You can remove our guilt. You conquered that devil. You defeated him. You displayed him. You disarmed him. We're so thankful. You have broken the power of fear in our lives. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. The Lord would say to you today, do not fear. For all things belong to the Lord. His power is complete. He is able to do all things. You are in his hands. He knows your future. He is planning your life. He has promised to take care of you. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. For the Lord thy God is with you. He is in you. He is guarding you. He is surrounding you. Do not fear. For God has all things under his control. He turns and works all things for your good. For the good of his pleasure. He is leading you home. He's your pioneer. He's your leader. He's your author. He's your captain. He is your perfect savior. Not one of your hairs of your head will fall to the ground without the Lord knowing of it. He knows you. He sees you. He cares for you. God is ever watchful over you. So fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Lord, I pray that you release people today who are bound to fears. The fear of the future, the fear of death, the fear of the unknown, the fear of rejection, the fear of shame, the fear of poverty, the fear of sickness. Be released. Spirit of God, move into every heart, setting people free. You are the bondage breaker. You are the way maker. You break chains and shackles and you open prison doors. I pray that you would do that right now in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. If you need God to touch you in your fears, just come forward right now. Need God to touch you in your shame, in your sorrow. He knows. He understands us. Come forward right now. We're going to close with this worship and just let the Spirit of God minister to you up here. And the anointing of God is able to set you free. You believe that, don't you? Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Be set free. Be set free. Receive from your perfect Savior today. Receive from your perfect Savior today. Hallelujah. That is who you are. He's a way maker. That is who you are. Let's have our prayer team come and just lay hands on them. Prayer team, come and lay hands on them. You can do that. Elders, deacons, members of the prayer team.